Stay on top of all meaningful top trending stories right here on SAFM. Leading the conversation. As we, as we celebrate 20 years, Robben Island Museum is celebrating 20 years, Robben Island being a, a national heritage site. And uh, there's lots that is happening here. There will be a lecture tomorrow, the Govambeki Lecture, and we'll give you more details a little bit later on. But we are reflecting on this island with its massive, massive history. And I'm still uh, speaking, and I have my, my panel here with me, Tua Smith, the tour guide. I also have a former political prisoner as well. And uh, I also have Moronga Ramoboya, who is uh, from the foundation um, itself as well, the uh, island, the Robben Island Museum, uh, Babutulani Mabaso, ex-political prisoner as well. So, Babutulani, I, I heard about it in Chile. I don't know if they, you know, people spoke about um, what, what the food was so terrible. The food at Robben Island was so terrible. But there was only one little ingredient, you know, that made everything a little better. And the story goes that... Uh, uh, a religious leader came in here to, I don't know, apparently help with the emotional and spiritual guidance of the prisoners. And as he left, he dropped something. Quickly, the prisoners put their foot on it. And as soon as the warden was out of sight, they picked up this thing and it was a chili. And then they thought to themselves, what on earth are we going to do with the chili? I mean, this guy... A chili. He doesn't warn us. He doesn't tell us anything. Why would he drop us a chili? And then, of course, because they had so much time on their hands, they decided, no, we will dry the chili, take out the, the what the pips, right, and then plant the chili. So they had a little field of chili. That, to me, is the most interesting story I've ever heard. So, wasn't there anybody guarding these people? How did they just decide to plant a little chili bush? Does anybody know? Yeah, we had a garden. There was a garden. Yes. So we plant tomatoes, chilies, flowers, and so on. Yeah. But and the lali chiba was the best. <laughs> because he always measured the chili. <laughs> so so tell, tell us about that little chili bush. Because all the island uh, prisoners are saying, if it weren't for the chili... The food was so terrible. The food was so terrible for prisoners that if it weren't for the chili, I mean, they don't know how they would have survived the food, right? The food was bad. <laughs> that, so that cannot be run away from. But the chili make it much better. <laughs> Give you spice and make you to drink some water. And it, it, it reminds you when you're at home, you know. Yes. It brings you those memories. The, the stories around the food for me are incredible. As we mm. heard about how on the other side, there were people who were having the most luxurious food, right? So there were lieutenants and whoever, these generals who were having the most incredible food on the island. And then there were obviously categories of prisoners who were having different types of food. There was food trading as well, I'm told, that there were those who, apparently Uncle Kathy, who was able to have bread, Nelson Mandela hadn't had bread for 10 years, for instance. <laughs> yeah, it was bad indeed. It was blacks. We, we blacks, we have to drink Puzamanda. Which I'm told just looked like water. Yeah. Just colored, wa- yeah. or snowy water. Yeah, snowy water. <laughs> you can say energy drink. <laughs> yes. Although it never gave us any energy. <laughs> very bad. And the others will have bread. But what was so critical there was that there was a unity amongst us. Absolutely. We always smuggle and help one another. Th- 
there was a story about some sort of an attempt, and I'm going to call it an attempt because if you know how to do the real thing, you realize this was a real attempt between Tato Mandela and I don't know who else, but they kept some stuff in the corner of their cell in the attempt to make what I would call being, right, to ferment milipap. And it obviously didn't work out, but they had some sort of a brew going on the corner there somewhere to try and give life to this millipup they were given every single day. <laughs> In fact, let me put this way. <laughs> Something that was discouraged. Yes. Because you see, that puzamanda, yes. when you keep it for quite some two days, it fermented. <laughs> yes. So when it felt fermented, when you drink it, it is like a liquor. So that was discouraged to everyone <laughs> that we mustn't do that, you see, because it was no. And we had we had scientists there, the, but there was also, I mean, stipulated punishment for this. Mm. If you were caught with the drink, what would have happened to you? Yeah, they'll take you for what you call spiritite. That means you'll be isolated for five or six days, having only water, rice, and water to drink, or they can take you to court and charge you for that. This water rice. This yeah. water rice was what? what uh, the remains. Just a point. A, yeah, just the remains. I, I'm told that at some point that was, you know, that was done away with because they were women who went to court to fight for that uh, rationing of, of food and, and stopping people from getting food. No, they didn't stop it really because sometimes they give you half a portion. Like I, they gave me half a portion of my meal, even though it was not good, but I. I had a little, but I have to share it. When were prisoners able to swap the food? The stories around others trading millies <clears throat> for bread and the millies being bribed at some point because, you know, there were means to do these things. When were you able to actually interchange with other prisoners in that manner? No, more especially in the, in the sections. Yeah. When, they come, when people bring a meal like bread... Puzamanda or Milsamp, we will share amongst ourselves. Like, for instance, I was not allowed to eat meat. To get meat, I must get the permission from the doctor. There were comrades who were allowed to eat meat, those who were allowed to eat chicken. So, what we do then, we used to have something called kolkhos, you know, where we bring everything together. And then we ah. know that today, this group had the chicken, so tomorrow the other group. So it was circulated. Wasn't this, I mean, was this out of sight? Yeah, we did it uh, without, without them knowing. Really? Yeah. That's, that's them, is, is quite fascinating. We were very good in doing things with that. And we do things under their, right, under their nose, not knowing what's going on. <laughs> so we'll always make sure that... There was, safe. There's a there's a water who I'm told was called I don't know suitcase, was it suitcase? <laughs> yeah, suitcase. <laughs> now suitcase. The story with suitcase is that the guy used to bring his kaftin, his lunchbox, yeah, in a in a little suitcase. Yeah. The suitcase back then, for those who don't know, was a little brown uh, type of cardboard suitcase, but it was nice and portable, and so. I'm told that the prisoners refused flatly to carry his suitcase for him, so he would look really like an idiot around the, 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 the island carrying his suitcase the whole day because nobody else would carry his suitcase for him. But I'm told he's quite a, he was a ruthless man. He was a really ruthless man and, and did all sorts of 
unsavory things when people would eat and so on. Did you know of suitcase? I heard about it. I never met him, yeah. but I, I heard about when we talk about it, yeah. when we are just discussing yes. amongst ourselves in terms of how to defy them. Because he was not the only one. There were others. There was the one we called him Gestapo, Smith. He was very ruthless too, but we used to defy him, his authority. So suitcase too, because they want to be called bus. So when the bus comes, must take his bag or take his suitcase like what common law prisoners are doing. So they want to, 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 to treat us as criminals. So we didn't want to do that. You know, there are political prisoners who, to this day, have chosen to stay on Robben Island. I'm fascinated by that. Your affinity to the island, when you were here, you left, what, 91, did you say? Yeah. Your relationship and affinity to the island today, what's it like? My relationship with Robben Island today, firstly, I'm a worker there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I have developed a passion for the space where I always, every morning, I wake up and say, I'm going to educate our people. So I'm talking to the world. There are so many different people coming to different countries, visiting South Africa, visiting Robben Island, and then sharing our history and our stories. And, uh, I've got a passion on that. It's your story too. It's it's personal to you. It's it's easy for us to come here, and and speak about this, and sort of take ourselves outside of the story. You are the story. You are part of Robben Island history. When you speak about that to people like myself who come through to this place, I mean, is it easy? I, I, is I know that you're educating people, but it's personal to you. Right? It's not easy, as one may think. It's, it's quite challenging, very emotional. Yes. Uh, yeah, it is not easy. It's very emotional. Sometimes you do feel like you don't feel like saying anything today. Mm. You just feel like being away from everyone. You know, in many ways, I think uh, we underestimate your integration into society having lived in a space like that for that long and moving back into society. Was that difficult? Was that a difficult process? Is that why, partly why some former prisoners just find it easier to live on the island? In, in as much as we may not understand it, is that possibly it? That as difficult as it is, it is a familiar ground? It's quite, it's quite difficult just to integrate easily. You have to to me, it was a serious challenge. Mm. Because even now, I still have, I can't be with many people. Sure. Maybe for more than five hours. So I do sometimes, I feel I want to be secure wherever I am. Wherever, wherever I walk, even even at home, I, I must always stay alert, you know. 
So it's not the easiest. You know, you say that, you say that, and we were sitting here, and I know that at home you can't see it when you are, you know, we, you obviously just listening to us, but we were sitting here with Christo, Christo Brand, and we are obviously in an open space. This is a museum. People walk in, people walk out. And I watched the two of you, yourself and Christo, who was a warden on the island, and your body language is different to all of us. When someone enters the room, you tense up. And I watched how Christo's focus completely shifted when there was somebody else walking into the space where we are. And I could see his guard up, unlike any one of us here, which for me was quite an interesting thing to observe. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's, what, that's, what, that's what is happening in me and other comrades. You see, you just feel like be awake, alert, and be vigilant. That's what you always say. Be vigilant of what is around you. Baptulan Mabaso, we wish you life. I wish you life. And I really thank you for, for telling us your story, for being a beacon for our very difficult history and our very difficult heritage, for never tiring to tell it over and over again. Because it's through you that our children will know better. Thank you. Thank you very much. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105 FM in Peter Maritzburg. Robben Island is uh, celebrating 20 years as a national heritage site, and uh, one of the things that they're doing, they're asking you to come and walk the island, come and ask them, come and talk to them, come and experience what life may have been like here on the island. We are not quite at Robben Island itself. We are at the Robben Island Museum, and we're here because, you know, the weather isn't great, and if the weather is not great, you may not get into the ferry to the island. So it's, it goes with, with all visitors. If the weather is not great, you just have to postpone it for another day. I'm joined by Murunga uh, Ramabua, who is the spokesperson of the Robben Island Museum. Happy to 20 years. Thank you so much. It's so humbling to celebrate 20 years as a World Heritage Site. Yeah. We were declared a World Heritage Site in 1999 mm-hmm. in Marrakesh, Morocco. And um, that comes with a whole lot of responsibility because it means that our core mandate as a museum means looking at the holistic um, landscape of mm-hmm. the island. So we have to focus on the history being from the 1400s, from the Cordoba era, right through to the political imprisonment. But Robben Island also has a heritage site. And under our heritage site, it means that we are responsible for collections and archives. And interestingly, had we gone to the island today, I would have shown you um, one of our assets that's actually on the island. And it was a Mercedes-Benz. Oh, you know that car. <laughs> that car has given me sleepless nights. I'm telling you, I was dreaming of being in that car. And that car was a car that was given to Nelson Mandela. It was donated to the museum. And it was... Um, it was donated to us by a German embassy, and it was used by Madiba during his um, 1994 um, campaign, election campaign. But it had other histories before that, right? Correct. Tell it me. had other histories before that. So it had been, it has done some rounds mm-hmm. in different uh, countries mm-hmm. um, because they were quite sensitive about political or rather security. Security, you know. Um, so before it came to Robben Island, I believe it also went through to 
um, what's it called again? I'll tell you now. So the significance of the car, really, um, it was given to Nelson Mandela. And um, he used the car from January to May 1994. And it was also used from 1983 by the German embassy in Dakar. And then it went over to Bangladesh, uh, Nicosia, and Cyprus before coming to South Africa. So had you been on the island, you felt how heavy it is because of all the bulletproofing. <laughs> but yes, um, it's, it's, it's a white 1983-380. Um, but speaking on heritage assets, we have what we call the Maibuya Archives, which is actually situated at the University of the Western Cape, which is where currently our collections are housed. And um, of late, we've recently just been declared a marine protected area. Yes. Which adds on to a list of our mandates as a museum, as a national museum. You know, the history of the island itself, we speak a lot about its people, but uh, its history of its life um, animal life is quite complex, very, very interesting as well, how uh, certain animals were introduced and then, you know, they were culled and then the, the lifespan of those different animals, sheep and pigs and so on, and, and depending on who was the leader and the ruler of the time, which animals did what and for what favor, fascinating. Very fascinating. And we're one of the very few sites that still has a colony of African penguins. We also have fellow deer. Uh, and interestingly, we also have underwater marine heritage yes. as well. So Robben Island has so many layers that can be um, discovered. And I wish you guys would have stayed a whole month. <laughs> Look, I mean, nobody's closing, nobody's closing Robben Island down. So we will <laughs> come here. And I think many of our listeners will be keen to come here as well. And then obviously ask uh, children to, to avail themselves to also ask the questions. You know, it... It struck me when we met you that you're a young person. You're a young person working in this environment. Taking a job like this, in this space, what does that mean to you? Look, uh, it was very humbling. Mm. Um, I took it as a national duty Mm. because a lot of us, we are unaware of what is happening around us or what happened whilst we were growing up. I mean, you go back to 1994, I was in grade one. And 1994 was, you know, the beginning of the rainbow nation for South Africa. You know, we knew that there's Nelson Mandela, but I don't even remember the day that he was released. So we grow up thinking that Robin Island Museum only has so much to tell. And when you finally in this space and fully understand the history of South Africa, where we come from, where we're going, and other pioneers in the political struggle that contributed equally towards our freedom as young people, it's, I can never be grateful to the likes of Ndate Tulani Mabas. But you, you, you have a very recent recollection of the history that you learned at school. You know, you said when you were in grade one, it was, what, 94 when you were in grade one. So, coming from school and, and being here, what you were taught at school, how far apart is it from what, you, what you've totally discovered here? Totally far apart, totally different. It was colonialism right through. And I asked that question because you are of the apartheid era education. OBE. Correct. So in other words, your, your history has been informed 
by a new regime. Correct? Correct. Was it enough? Did you get enough from that? Did it did it give you a sense of what you got here? How much of what we or what you are working with here did you get from school? I don't think it was enough. I don't think it was enough because essentially what it meant for me in 1994 was that, okay, Morongwa, you can now go to school with white children and be in the same class and be taught by white teachers. But the history remained quite relevant to our um, classmates. I said to you um, that I found the energy here heavy. Right, I found it was it, and and it's funny how, over and over again, it's it, there's a heaviness about this place. When you work here, and you you know, in fact, earlier, um, when we were speaking to Babutulani, I, you know, there was a tear, and I could tell. I mean, for all of us, the moment the moments were heavy. How do you find this experience? Apart from the history and all of that, how do you, as a person, as a human being? How has this place informed who you are? How this place has informed who I am is to really appreciate the essence of knowing your true identity as a South African or as a young black woman living in South Africa. You really appreciate the fact that we all have our different challenges, but yet it's how we overcome all these challenges that actually really matter. It's how we triumph. It's how we really triumph and move on and the forgiving spirit that comes with this place as well. Sure. Because each day comes with a new story and you can never get enough from just engaging with the ex-political prisoners. And you think, I think, I thought I had issues, I had problems. And they went through so much, but still today the city and smile and are able to be open about the experiences with me and still be strong and encourage me <laughs> where I should be comforting them. They comfort me, encourage me because it's so surreal. It is so surreal. So it, 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 it's really, I think there's, a, there's more appreciation now um, of life and also being a young mother, you, you also want your child wake, I mean, growing up with a vast amount of knowledge yeah. in their lives. So, yeah. so, having said all of that, <laughs> with all of us tearing up in this place, there is a lecture tomorrow, the Govan Becky Lecture. Yes, there is a lecture tomorrow. So, last year during Madiba Centenary, we launched our Memorial Lecture Series as Robben Island Museum. Now, the purpose of that is to commemorate a different ex-political leader each year on their birthday. And today happens to be the eve of Gavin Mbeki. And that's why tomorrow we're having uh, the lecture which is dedicated to him. It's a second memorial lecture. And our keynote address will be presented by um, retired Deputy Chief Justice, Ndatidikhang Museneke, who interestingly was also an ex-political prisoner. The youngest. The youngest. youngest. I mean, how do you... 15. 15, and then you get degrees... 
you get your matric, and then you get degrees, and then you're one of the celebrated um, people in the ju- judicial industry. So, yes, tomorrow it's all about celebrating the life of Governor Mbeki because as Robin, as Robin Island Museum, it's important for us to give a balanced narrative of the museum and the ex-political prisoners representing the political movement. I really want to thank you for being our host today. We want to thank you for keeping um, our heritage in your capable hands. We've been very, very welcome here, and we see the work that you do. We recognize your contribution to our knowledge, to preserving who we are as a nation. I don't take that for granted, and I'm sure many of us don't. Maybe we don't say it enough, but thank you. Thank you for your contribution to our history. Morongwa uh, is a spokesperson at Robben Island Museum. Morongwa Ramaboya. Come on, come bring your children, pop in. Interesting, around. we yeah. actually have youth programs on the island and we also um, have outreach programs. So we encourage all schools, um, most importantly from previously disadvantaged areas, to do get in touch with us mm-hmm. if they'd like to have a youth camp or school program or leadership programs on the island. We have facilities available and they can contact us on 021-413-4200 and we're also on social media, on Twitter, at underscore at island underscore at robin sorry underscore island also on instagram at robin underscore island and on facebook as well morongwa ramabuya who's a spokesperson for robin island museum okay now so i want to welcome back uh, who has been away it is masichaba mdolo who is back a lot of you have been asking on twitter and everywhere where has masichaba been well she's back with us in studio masichaba are you there to give us the very latest of what will be happening today not Okay, she's not going to be talking to me, but she is going to be looking at uh, the PIC that uh, we show. I'm sure many of you were aware that there was um, the commission was looking into the PIC today. They'll also be talking to Etiguini Mayor as well. Uh, uh, why, you know, her special leave and when it lapses, it lapses today, and what happens from that point onwards. Uh, we will be speaking to you about uh, the Gauteng Premier and the Minister of Finance. You remember that there was that twelve that we all saw during the weekend and how can she not touch on the sporting weekend that was that and more Mas Chaba will be looking at that and of course she'll also be taking your calls on 0891104207 and those SMSs and 41391 I really look forward to being with you again tomorrow uh, 123 and I really want to thank you for tuning in today it's been such a pleasure being with you and thank you for your warm wishes thank you for all your welcoming beautiful messages i really appreciate it let's do this again tomorrow and it'll be a fun day in studio tomorrow as we broadcast you back in the johannesburg studio my name is pemelo motene